For those of you who listened to the podcast a few weeks ago, you will remember me saying that I was going to put an offer on my Month to Manifest program. Month to Manifest is the easiest manifestation course on the market right now. My intention when creating this course was allow it to be easy, simple, time efficient, like I'm not about things that take me a lot of time or I just won't do them. So this requires at the most five minutes of your time a day to be able to really hone your intentions on a daily basis. And not only that, one of the things we have done is to create a community of like-minded people where we meet once a month on a live and we set our intentions for the month ahead. It is so powerful and you'll get to meet those like-minded people who share in your joy and in your love of manifestations and we all lift each other up. It is so amazing. I love it and I would love you to join. One of the things that I have always wanted to do as well is to make this affordable and not only is it affordable every day but I am also giving you a discount on that right now. All you have to do is DM me the word manifest on Instagram and I will send you the unique discount code. Come and join us. Welcome to the Unbreakable Mindset Podcast, your burst of weekly inspiration to keep your mindset on track to manifest your greatest desires. I am Jude Don't, your host, a world-renowned mindset coach, helping my clients and now you, the listener, to break free of the mental struggle, find contentment, meaning and purpose in your life. Right, I have another amazing podcast guest who I kind of begged to come on and this was somebody who I found on Instagram, but turns out he's a big deal anyway. I just didn't know it until I found him on Instagram. And it is the comedian who feels like he's on everything at the minute, Stephen Bailey. Hi. Welcome thanks, to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I don't feel like you begged me. I feel like you just asked and I said yes. <laughs> it felt like I was begging. I was like, you know, uh, don't ask if you don't get. So please, 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 would you come on the podcast? It was so nice because that's how I, I feel like I sent one of those emails to get my first job in TV. Oh. Really? And so now, if anyone does it to me, well, I mean, I should be careful. <laughs> Not if anyone. If if anyone does ask and I have time, I feel like, sure, everyone has to help each other out. The world's a mess. Oh, bless you. How amazing. So I'd said to, to Stephen before we hit record on, I said, I feel like you're on everything. And you went, oh, I don't feel like I am. But you have been on TV loads recently. Like, give us the, the in just in the last... Two months, what have you been on? Oh my. So in the last two months, I've done Would I Lie to You, mm-hmm. um, Celebrity Weakest Link, mm-hmm. um, uh, there was something else I've done as well. There was the Ross Kemp one. Oh yeah, Celebrity Bridge of Lies. Yeah. Um, what else have I done? Should well, I, I don't read re- off what I found okay, on your yeah, website? Yeah, you do. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Um, Unbreakable. Yeah. Date or drop. Yeah, short-lived. Oh, was it? Yeah. How long ago was that? That was two years ago. Me and Amanda Holden. Yeah. A one-off episode, hoping to go to more. And then Channel 4 made the basically the exact same format with Joel Domit. <laughs> so BBC were like, um, we're going to have to leave this now. Okay. You've done live at the Apollo, but that was a while ago. Was that, that was before? 2019? Yeah, amazing. Would I lie to you, Richard Osman's House of Games? Yeah, I go on that a lot. I think because he finds it hilarious how rubbish I am, and comedians are meant to be the best participants of it. And I have no idea what's going on because I was like, I don't know the answers anyway. And then you're making it like this weird turn, like make it rhyme with something. They're going, oh my. Um, Celebrity Bridge of Lies, Celebrity Weakest Link, Between the Covers, oh, yeah, I like and that Strictly one. It Takes Two, Pointless Celebrities, Live from Barry Island. That was something that you had, that was your live stand-up, was it? So that was kind of like a smaller scale live at the Apollo. So it was four comedians, uh-huh. um, but they were doing it out of BBC Wales. Yeah, amazing. 
And then Stand Up Sketch Show, Roast Battle, Celebrity Mastermind, The Apprentice, You're Fired, and Sarah Cox Between the Covers, Love Island, Tipping Point, Lucky Stars, and a regular on Celebability? Celebability, yes. I said that right. Although... I, don't, I think that regularity's ended, but I am now a, a regular on the Laura Whitmore Breakfast Show. So, <gasps> okay, which nice. you were on. So was that the first time you were on on Sunday? Or have you been on that a few times? No, that was the first one, but it's only episode okay. three. Yeah. Okay. But you're going to be a regular on there? Yeah. I love that. You were hilarious on it. I was like, oh, I need to watch him. He's on something else. I need to watch him. But um, it's nice for me because my stand-up's very crude. Not very yeah. crude, but it's a bit blue and I think sometimes as well although I was at a comedy festival this weekend and I was like um I am no bluer than anyone else but I think because it comes out of a gay man's voice it automatically just seems dirtier for whatever reason um so it is nice to do things like Laura's breakfast show because it shows that oh he's still funny but it's daytime funny it's daytime funny yeah (laughs) so I'd written down I was thinking why so as I was driving in this morning I, so, so I found uh, Stephen through a, a reel that must have went viral. Um, and you've had a few of those now that have gone yeah. crazy, like million views and things like that. Yeah. And so, so I found you through that. I didn't know a, a, about you before that. And then I was like, oh, this guy's funny. So I started following you. And I think when I started following you, you must have had, I don't know, what, what was your baseline following at that point? Like 22,000, 28? So I think, so I went on a ski job, a a job on a ski resort with um, some of the comedians on the 15th of January. And at that point, I had 23,000 followers. Mm -hmm. And whilst we were away, you know, a couple of the comedians are Troy Hawk, who has become very well known for Greeter's Guild. Yeah, everyone loves him. And um, another one, Tom Horton, who's known as the Honourable Tom online. Mm -hmm. Um, And these guys have been gigging longer than I've been gigging. I started comedy in 2011. They were already going and they work really hard and they're really funny. But they've had this buzz on social media. And so this whole conversation came around. I was like, oh, I might give it a go then because like, you know, telly's good, but it doesn't get the viewers anymore. I think everything's just changed. And um they were just giving me advice we're like just find a way of doing something that's funny that's interesting you and I'm really bad at aging I'm really getting nervous I think about death all the time I just feel like I'm hurtling towards death and so I was like oh I'm gonna compare how it is now compared to when I was young and carefree mm-hmm. and um yeah a couple of those just went viral so then I put a few stand-up clips up just so people knew I was a stand-up as well and so then a couple of those went viral. And then I actually put up what I believe is one of the worst jokes I've ever written. And that's got like 4 million views. Which is what? What's the worst joke you've So ever I written? say, so it was before I got my boyfriend and I say, um, I used to moan all the time about how I'm going to die alone. Oh my God, I'm going to die alone. I'm going to die alone. But I've decided I need to be a bit more upbeat. So now I'm, now I'm saying I'm going to die independently. Oh, yeah, I love that one. That's it. I love that one. <laughs> and it's a cute idea, but it's not, like, funny. But people love it. I think so... the people that love it are also alone. <laughs> not necessarily. I'm with somebody, and I love that. <laughs> so as I was driving in this one, I was thinking, God, like, I saw... Because how many, how many followers have you got now? So that was January. Where are you now? Oh, 97,000. 97,000. Like, that's nuts. And if you think about what you'd done pre-January yeah, and things that you'd been on and live at the Apollo, live at yeah. the Apollo, for example, which televised and you've done loads of TV, that it was actually you doing yeah. stuff on social media that got all of these new faces on you. So wait a minute, I'll finish the bit that I was going to say. So I was driving along and I was thinking, because I don't find many people funny. Like, I, I think this. No, I think there's some people, I'm saying comedians, let's say, who are good storytellers, but not necessarily funny. And then I was trying to dissect, bearing in mind, I'm not a comedy critic. I was trying to dissect, like, why do I find you funny? And who else do I find funny? And I thought, well, Peter K, like, I love Peter K. I think yeah. he's hilarious. And I like Julian Clary. And I was thinking about the people who who make me laugh out loud and why 
versus the other people that I kind of enjoy watching, but I don't really like. I go, oh, yeah, it was kind of funny. And I think that the, the thing, you, you can go, no, dude, that's wrong, because I know nothing about comedy. But I was thinking about one you include the audience in your comedy and I love that that's hilarious mm-hmm. like I'd love to be at one of your comedy gigs and 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 having that oh god he's gonna pick on me kind of thing that old school being at a comedy yeah. gig I think your mannerisms are hilarious like when you're doing a joke it's not just about what you're saying it's also about kind of like the looks that you give and the eyelid that you give yeah. it's all part of it isn't it it's not and that's why some comedians aren't funny because they're just storytellers where if you've got you've got funny bones but it comes with the whole thing I don't want to say the whole package because I'm not I'm not Louis <laughs> you've got, got the talent. X factor you've got yeah X factor um but I do think you're hilarious and and, and you've Thank got you. such a lovely lovely comedy and it's like why did I not know of him beforehand? Like, how am I just discovering you on Instagram? And then I went into, like, how do I find out more? How do I listen to more? Because I, although I do a mindset podcast and people say, oh, what podcast do you listen to? I don't listen to mindset podcasts. Definitely mm. not. I listen to funny ones. I want to think, I don't want to have to think when I listen to a podcast. I want to laugh and 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 have things that make a smile. And I was like, how can I find more of them? And I thought, betty has been on a podcast. And then I looked and you'd had a podcast, you started it, you told me, um, in lockdown mm-hmm. with um, Zoe Lyons, who yeah. I know Zoe, I don't know her, that's a lie. I know of Zoe Lyons because I listened to um, Frank Skinner's Oh yeah, she does show. that all the time. Yeah. yeah, and she gets little slots on there if somebody's like missing, she'll jump on and she's yeah. lovely, really, really nice. So the two of you together is a lovely podcast. And remind me what it's called. So it's called Let's Talk About the Husband. Let's with talk Stephen about Stephen Bailey husband. and Zoe Lyons. Yeah. So did you notice then? And again, this is not relevant at all, but I'm I'm nosy. Did you notice that when your Instagram following went up, did your podcast listeners go up as well yeah and it's so typical as well because we decided to um do a podcast just because everyone had a podcast and what happened was Zoe and I were talking to each other during the lockdowns like two or three times a week and you know we'd always got on I would say we were colleagues before the lockdown like if we saw each other great whereas now and then but just something over the lockdown we became just like really good close friends and so enjoy company and then we were just talking about things like she thinks it's hilarious that I get all my business advice from reality tv and other people think it's ridiculous that I would even say that out loud those people tend to read the guardian and listen to radio 4 which I'm not opposed to but I was like but actually one we don't all have access to nepotism and you know we live in a world where it's all about who you know so if you're born into that world and you don't know those people in the world you're trying to get into, it's really hard. I just always watched them um, kind of like The Hills and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, the Kardashians. And I know like they're born into wealth, they're born into opportunity, but there are simple things you can take away from it about business. Like, you know, Chris Jenner just kept asking everyone for a show until they got the Kardashians. Didn't know that. It was just doing the rounds. Now, obviously, she's in a better position than I was ever in because, you know, her husband had done the OJ trial. Oh, yes, of and course, therefore, yes. So they were already they, famous-ish. They had a connection to yeah. Beverly Hills, so they knew people, they could meet people, da-da-da. Then... Um, Kim was friends with... Paris as well. Kim was best it? friends with Paris, so they were really good friends with the Hiltons. Um, so, you know, there's all stuff like that, which I'm not... But there are certain things where it's like, you can look... Like, one of the things I've learned from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, for example, is keep your receipts. Because people say stuff, and all of a sudden people forget they've said it, or promise you a job, or this or that. Whereas, actually, if you get everything in writing, there can be no denial. Although I have had people, when I've shown them what they've said, go... I don't think that was me. And it's like, it's your email address and your signature. But I always say, keep your receipts to stop you feeling like you're going mad. Well, that wasn't a bit of advice that I was expecting you to give yeah. listeners. But that's amazing. I love that. I love that. 
So what was I going to, where was I going to go with that? So, so you've done the podcast, done your the listeners podcast. have gone up. Yeah, amazing. People can go and listen to that now. You're going to be starting it up again when Zoe's back off our tour? Yeah, we're going to start it up again at the end of May because um, Zoe's been on tour and she's, she won't mind me saying this, she's highly dramatic. And so when she's on tour and on the road, she gets, it's already too much her trying to get yeah. from, say, Brighton, where she lives, to the Lake District. She, she will make that journey very stressful for herself. So we thought rather than add it in, we will do our podcast as series. Um, and also neither of us are that bothered about podcasts. So it's just something we do. And then if people like it, we will keep doing it. And then if, if we so happen to pop there one day, great, but it's neither of our ambitions. Um, but I do like the, I like the idea of giving people that follow you or your journey or career or yeah. whatever, content that's why I started doing the videos that's why I started doing um I wanted to grow my audience and now it's like I try and go live once every other week and stuff like that um although people people's questions is which is getting very exciting for going on tour is I was like are you coming to Bristol are you coming to Milton Keynes and it's like you can ask me somewhat deeper I will tell you when I'm coming to those places um and so that's good and what was the other thing about the podcast? I think while, when I go on tour next year, I think I'm going to do like a green room podcast. Just even if it's just like little 10 minute podcasts, because I like the one Sean oh, Walsh nice. does with Paul McCaffrey, where they're like 10, 15 minutes long. Even if it's just like a boom, a little blast of a podcast, just being like, well, someone's, someone from the previous show has not flushed the toilet or I don't know. But I just thought there might be something like in that. that. Yeah. 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 I'll so... do it. If it's shit, I won't put it out. Can have a try. So, what do I know about you? Let's think. So, I, after listening to your podcast and watching you on Instagram, and there was an episode you did, I think it was like a Christmas special on somebody else's podcast, but then you showed it on, then you replayed it on yours. I'm sure you talked about in that one. I have no idea where this came from, where you, how you got into comedy, because comedy was not, you didn't like think, oh my God, yes, that's what I want to do. You didn't sit and watch, I don't know. Billy Connolly and think yeah no. I definitely want to do that when I'm older so so your goal if I, if I remember rightly was to be an actor no um I I wanted to be a presenter oh right okay yeah that's kind of why I got into kind of showbiz not that wasn't a lifelong dream either that was like when I was like hitting 19 20 and graduating and you've got to start thinking about what you want to do yeah well then I was like oh sh- Oh my lord! So, um, and I was just obsessed with Holly Willoughby on the Extra Factor, oh, and so I was okay. like, I want to be a presenter. Uh-huh. But even uh-huh. that that didn't crop into my brain until I was about twenty. <laughs> so, so twenty years old, you're thinking, oh, actually, do you know what? I could be a presenter. So then, do you go? I'm moving to London. Bye, man. Bye, dad. Not quite like that. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, so I researched because I'd never left Manchester really where I'm from up until that point I I did as part of my university course I had to go and do a year abroad um but apart from that I hadn't left Manchester was that France by any chance we it was (laughs) um but apart from that I had no interest in leaving Manchester I love Manchester um I've come full circle I'm back in Manchester I always thought like I want to see the world but like on holiday I don't need to go and live places um and so what was happening was I was getting I was getting to the end of my degree everyone was thinking about jobs people were being like I'm going to be a translator I'm going to be a teacher I don't know what I'm going to go do I'm going to travel for a year I come from no money we ain't you did a degree in French we should say oh yeah I did a degree in French sorry (laughs) um and then I so then I was like, well, what do I do? Like I say, I loved Holly Willoughby presenting Extra Factor. I always thought that was really fun. I always thought the T4 guys had this great time. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, well, how do you become a presenter? So I just like Google things like Dermot O'Leary, Googled Holly Willoughby. And I mean, I don't know whether it's true or false, but they were all like, I started on the reception desk in TV. I started as, as a runner in TV. <gasps> so then I was like, okay, well, how do I do that? So then I Googled jobs and TV and that seemed outrageous. I didn't know even know how to apply for that. Um, and then I was like, kind of what I was saying earlier, which was I then was like, 
maybe I just need to know who the head of it. Like, I didn't know production companies were a thing. I thought channels made shows. So I thought if you're on ITV, Mr. ITV made that show. I didn't, I didn't know, like, I don't know, Talk Back Thames made it or whatever. Yeah. And um, so then I emailed the head of every channel just kind of like you did, being like, hey, you don't know me, I'm this boy from Denton, da, da, da. And I tried to find any sort of connection, and there was um, the head of Channel 5 at the time, Richard Wolf. Um, he'd just done a talk at my uni. Now, I hadn't seen the talk, but I'd seen there was a video on our uni page. And so I just emailed about that, and then he invited me down. Then I got this call one day, like m- about two months later from his PA, um, inviting me down to London to have a meeting with him shut up no I, that's what happened and that's so that's nuts isn't it like yeah oh my god that's amazing just going I'll email everyone and then yeah. just by chance just chance so then what did that lead to no one else emailed back by the way so it could have been very different <laughs> like it, if Richard didn't email back it could have been uh-huh. very different yeah. um, and no one else ever emailed back like literally no one else so um, he invited me down to London. So I went, first time ever in London. I think I annoyed my friend because she'd been to London before and I rang her and I was like, how do the tubes work when you get here? She was like, it's so easy. And I was like, mm, yeah, if you've done it. Um, and so I went and met him and then he... and just silly things like I it hadn't even occurred to me the shows I love were like X Factor X Factor I'm a celeb Coronation Street like it didn't even occur to me to go I'm going to meet the head of Channel 5 watch some Channel 5 luckily my grandparents always watch the right stuff mm-hmm. which was on Channel 5 so I knew about that so when he's like what which of our shows do you like I was able to go Oh, I love the right stuff. What I love about him is he's a bit naughty. He's a bit cheeky. He's a bit campy, but no, he's like a straight man. Like, we just had this great chat. And I think I told him about my life. And the one thing I will say about um, Richard, who is a very posh London man, um, is he loves real people and he champions real people. So I think because of the stories I had, he liked that. And so then... He was like, okay, leave it with me, leave it with me, leave it with me. And then about a week later, I got a call from production company and I was like, going to work there as a runner. Wow. And so they were, but they were like, you need to move here for six weeks. We'll give you a six-week contract. And I was like, I ain't coming to London for six weeks. And then they were like, okay, well, we don't do this, but we'll give you a year. Wow. I did one so- trial day to check I wasn't a knob. And then, yeah, then they said that. So were you saying to him, look, this is what I want to be. Yeah. You just give me where I start. Was that kind of Well, I basically just said what I said to you, which was I Mm -hmm. I really want to be a presenter. I love Holly Willoughby. I think I've got that vibe. Um, Mm -hmm. I just don't know how to get in. Wow. And then he was saying about running and how important that was. So I was, I worked in TV for years after that. I moved to London. I worked on, um, worked to, moved to London in 2009 started as a runner at Princess Productions, which made the right stuff. But they also made um, T4, which felt amazing. Because I was like, wait, that was on my list of presenters that I Googled. And then it was... um, Was that like Makita Oliver at the time? Yep. And Jamila Jamil, who is huge now. The gorgeous Steve Jones. I remember having to go to a press junket with Steve Jones where he was interviewing Jude Law, gorgeous, and someone else really fit who I forgot. And um, we were in this hotel and there was like a talent room, which obviously we're not allowed in, where it was like a nice spread. And I rolled up very hungover and we had banter about my professionalism. And then <laughs> Steve Jones just went and robbed me a load of like bacon sandwiches and stuff. Nice guy then. Really nice and so handsome. Okay. So we're doing that for how many years? Sorry, four years, did you say? So sorry, I, I moved there in 2009, was, was a runner, but then I started to move up the ranks. And I worked in TV 2009, 2016. And I left TV and working behind the scenes in 2016. And I'd started comedy in 2011, but yeah. kind of as a hobby, um, because... Well, I'll, I'll tell you the maths and then I'll get back to that. So I started comedy in 2011 
Yeah. And then it was in 2016. And then in 2015, I went part time at my job because I'm a working class council estate boy. I ain't quitting job until I've got money. And then yeah. 2016, I was able to move full time into comedy because I was earning the same as what I was from my job at that point. And the tax man knows all this, so I don't even feel bad about saying it. And then I got in, I started doing comedy because I, I moved to do TV in 2009. The first year, you're just having this best time. Like, I was like having a great time in London. I was making friends. I was going to parties. I was still young. I was like 23. Um, so I was having a great time. And then it was only when Richard got in touch actually and was like, how's it all going? You know, are you enjoying your time in London? And I was like, oh yeah, I came for a different reason. And so then I was like, Oh, and then I actually got to do a screen test for T4. I did wow. not get it. Will Best got it, who I'm actually friends with now and I really like, and he's the new host of Big Brother. And But he got it. And I'd never been in front of a camera before. Once again, there's certain things you just don't don't even occur to you. Being like, you go, oh, I'm fun. I want to be a presenter. Da, da, da. It didn't occur to me about like having to look down a barrel. There's no one reacting to you. Da, da, da. So... God knows what they thought of that screen test, but I did not get the job. And then um, someone said to me, they were like, have you thought about doing stand-up? Because you're really funny and there's loads of open mic nights in London. And they, I was like, my my actual response was like, why don't you go and do fucking stand-up? I'm not doing that. And then about, I sat on it for about six months and then I, I um, signed but up But you must to have a- known you were funny. No, I really didn't. I don't think I'm funny. Even now, I don't think I'm funny. Like, I can see now I'm on stage why people think I'm funny. But when I'm trying to write material, I just think I have no sense of humour. I'm like, why am I trying to do this? And sometimes when I get really busy with work, which obviously I am thrilled to be so busy with work, but it means I'm not living a life. And if you notice with my comedy, it really is turns of phrase that everyone uses. Or if someone says something funny like um what are we allowed to say on this podcast whatever you want okay great so a friend of mine who is a gay man an older gay man um says said to me the other week we were talking about like how people always want to know if gay men have ever had girlfriends like you know and like some people have my boyfriend had a girlfriend for a long time and um I was like, oh, I had like, not really, like 14-year-old girlfriend, which I'm not sure if that counts. And um, my friend just went, well, I tried to have sex with a woman once, right? But I couldn't get a fanny up my bum. (laughs) So now it's in my show. (laughs) And he just said it. And so it's just stuff like that. So I'm always like, I think life and people are funny and like the turns of phrase, like my cousin cousin is a celiac and my mum at a wedding when... How's our Michelle getting on, you know, being a necrophiliac? And it's, it's stuff like that. So then I just take it to the stage. But I don't think I'm funny. So if I'm not living, I'm always like, oh, how boring. But wait a minute, right? Because you're, you're basing your funniness on your script and, and you having these stories to tell. But when you were on the Laura Whitmore show yesterday, mm-hmm. no, wait a minute, what day is it? It's Tuesday. Sunday. So Sunday. When you were on that show, like Baba Tunde was in stitches. Every time you opened your mouth, he was in stitches. Now, that wasn't scripted, was it? Like that was just you chatting yeah. about because you your um your spot on that was to talk about stuff you found on the internet, is that right? Yeah, like viral things. Yeah. Yeah, viral being a things. viral thing myself. Yes, uh, being the viral sensation that you are. So, but when you were talking, like, the pair of them are in stitches and I was thinking, oh, God, they're dead lucky. They're having such a funny morning, you being on that show. But that was just you being you, though, Shirley. Yeah, that was just me being me. I think the thing, I will say this, though, is, like, because I've been best friends with Laura since I moved to be a runner in London, like, 2009. Um, And so, like, she's been a friend of mine Laura Whitmore, I should say. Um, she's been a friend of mine longer than I've been a comedian. Mm-hmm. So now it just gets to the point where it's like, when my friends are there, I like to show off. And I know Babatunde because we're fellow comedians and we've done the yeah. rounds. Um, and then Aston from JLS is just really cute. <laughs> he was like, 
going like laughing and at the same time is like kind of going oh no he's making a joke a gay joke towards us <laughs> yeah he was basically like oh my god he's flirting and I think he gets to the point where I mean I said it when we were there was going don't flirt back because I'll take that as commitment so right so I say you is naturally funny in that and when you do you do lives you're funny on that that's not scripted no so that takes me back to that question of how have you not realised you were funny because you would be saying things and surely people would laugh? Like, that doesn't happen to everyone. Do you not realise that that, that doesn't No, I really don't, you know. And honestly, when I started stand-up, like, I have a lot of friends that will tell you this. I was terrible. I was really bad. But I think the thing is, what I didn't have, and I do wonder if this is from either a, a class thing or a um, LGBT thing... I didn't have confidence when I started. So I was like, this is how you're a comedian. And I wasn't a fan of comedy. So if you speak to any other comedians ever, they'll be like, I love Billy Connolly. Oh, my favourite comedian is Don French, like and Jennifer Saunders and da da da. Well, I didn't have anyone like that. So there was a couple of American, like I love Chelsea Handler, but because of Chelsea Lately. So I didn't, I didn't, we didn't get her comedy over here when I'd started, like I know we do now because of Netflix, but we didn't then, we just got Chelsea Lately. And I thought, oh, she's just bold and brash. That's the kind of presenter I would like to be like. Um, But I didn't really have any comedy heroes. So then I was like, I always felt like I was on the back foot when I was first starting because A, I never loved comedy. B, I never wanted to be an actor or a comedian or I just wanted to be a presenter. And so then I was like, well, how do you, so when people go, who's your favourite comedian? I always just say Holly Willoughby, which um, I know she's not a comedian, obviously, before someone writes in. But that's what I was looking up to. Um, and, yeah, so I don't, I didn't have any, like, comedians that I liked. And so then I was like, that's why I started, when I started comedy, I didn't go straight to a stage. I just saw there was this comedy writing class on a Saturday afternoon, 20 minutes from where I lived. So I started going to that, and then that taught you a specific way. And it's a, it was a great course. Obviously, it produced Viral Sensation. Moi. Viral Sensation, but, Bailey, that we now know, yeah. Yeah, but it, the way they were teaching didn't necessarily work for me. Like, that, we have things called, like, the rule of three and other things that I can't remember. And, um, and I was like, so I'm trying to write these rule of threes about things, and they'd give you topics... And it wasn't natural to be like, you know, write a joke about a nectar card. Well, I shop at Asda. I don't know anything about a goddamn nectar card. And then it was only as I started building confidence. And what would happen was I was dying a lot when I started. But then I'd start interacting with the audience because I'd panic. And I was really good at that. And so then I, and then that started to build my confidence. And one day, a comedian friend of mine said to me, you're better without a script. And so then I started doing it. And then obviously the problem with that is I wasn't a guaranteed hit because sometimes it worked and sometimes it wasn't. So then what I learned to do was hone the ad-libs, essentially. So be like, so half the things I have now, if you come to see me say a set, I've just winged it on the night. And then if it's worked, I've kind of been like, which bits worked? And then I rejig it and it's sort of become a joke. Amazing. So, so wait a minute. So, so let's just go back a second. So you didn't, you wanted to get into presenting. Comedy was not necessarily yeah. the thing. In fact, if anything, you told the other person to go fuck themselves, kind of. Yeah. When you they suggested it, it <laughs> you go and do it. So now you've got somebody who doesn't have a, it's not like you've got this deep passion for it. Like, oh my God, I want to be X, Y, and Z. And I want to be on stage. It was just something that you thought, oh, well, do you know what? I'll try it. So there wasn't a huge passion for it. No. And when you, anything you do, right, doesn't matter, you know, who you are or what you're trying to achieve, it's hard, whatever, because you're stepping outside your comfort zone. There's going to be hurdles along the way. What stopped you not giving up if the th- if you didn't even want to do it in the first place? Because there would have been days you'd come off and you'd like thinking, Jesus, that was awful. What made you go back the next night? Like, what was the what was the buzz about things? Or what was the thing that, the motivation? I think several things were the first night I ever did it. So what happened was we did this comedy writing course for like eight mm-hmm. weeks on a Saturday. 
then at the end of it you did a gig and that was my first ever gig and at the gig because the person teaching it was a comedian they'd invited like local bookers and stuff like that and I just luckily had a really good one on that first one so people offered me gigs that night and that was before oh god I can't believe with that oh well, I don't think with that oh I think the world's changed quick but it was before you had the calendar on your phone so it was like you you wrote it down so we so I just got offered some gigs so I'd written them in like honestly from my first gig to my next gig was four months because that's when people have availability and stuff like that whereas a lot of people if you ask comedians in their first month they've done 100 gigs well I think it took me three years to do 100 gigs how can they do 100 gigs in a month because they do two or three a night because when you're starting you're only doing five minute spots Oh, right, I see. So okay. you could you could be do somewhere at five past eight and be on stage somewhere else at five past nine and somewhere else at ten. And people would wow. run around, run around, run around. And um, I think the thing for me was going, I'd always had that good first gig. So I was like, well, there's something in it. There was something in it. And I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And also, because I was working behind the scenes in TV, I saw what it could be like you know because I was work don't forget I was working with like I'd work with Davina McCall at this point I'd work with Steve Jones Dermot like I'd work with all these people Matthew Wright I knew what it could look like I was really good friends with Laura who was you know MTV presenter at the time and I was just seeing her rise to the through the ranks like um and I just was like going oh god look at the opportunity you can have like look at the life you can have look at this look at that and um and I did enjoy it I enjoyed I was enjoying my job in tv and I thought well if I can flip to the other side I'll really enjoy this um not necessarily always true but um <laughs> that's what I felt at the time and I think what I enjoyed from it was going even though I necessarily didn't have a passion to be a comedian and I didn't know what I wanted to be. I think loads of people don't know what they want to be. Was going, what I enjoyed about it was being an entertainer. And that's kind of what I always say now is going, like I always say to my other friends where where it does feel like I'm on TV all the time. It's because they they just want to be comedians. So they want to do Mot the Week, Live at the Apollo, Comedy Central, da da da. Whereas I want to be an entertainer. So I love it when you're the guest on a show like the weakest link and even though I'm not necessarily the smartest person in the room I can keep the banter up yeah like I like that and that's I think sometimes why I get booked on shows is it's like I'm someone you can spar with yeah yeah and you're not trying to be I think it's uncomfortable when you're watching comedians and they're trying to get a joke in all the time you're not it just it's natural lovely banter you're right yeah you're right so so since 2009 because that's when you said you had your first gig, is that right? 2011 was first gig, 2009 was job as a runner. Okay, so 2011 first gig to, Jesus, 2023. Yeah. That's where we are now. I can't believe it. In in that time period, what's been the toughest bit about that journey and what's been the best bit? The toughest bit is I suppose all the no's the way I try to because my friends don't get me wrong I have loads of comedian friends and showbiz friends but my my friend friend friends are people I went to uni with school with worked at Sainsbury's with they're my friends that I see all the time speak to every day pretty much and I always say to them the best way to explain it is going because they they have different jobs like one of them works for um in hr one of them is an office manager and you go in in that kind of job all being well you probably change job every four years you probably interview and so every four years you get a couple of no's before you find that yes that happens to me every week and that's hard that's hard because you're constantly going, you're constantly looking for your next job. You're constantly, you know, I did four series of Celebs on the Farm and that was great, but it's like one job is not enough 
is not an annual salary. Yeah. Which I think people think because you're on TV, you're in, like, and it's like we get paid very well and there's no complaints there. But it's like it, one job. I couldn't do slabs on the farm and be like, not work for the rest of the year. And so you're constantly trying to find that next job. And also, you know, no job secure in this industry. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, like I say, I've had shows where it was like, have a year contract. And then it's like, the show's cancelled because of X, Y, and Z. So it, it's the uncertainty, I would say, is the hardest thing. Um, and even though I'm in a better position now, having come from nothing, you're scared of going back to that. Mm-hmm. So how do you overcome that? Like, what makes you still get out of the bed in the morning and go, do you know what, I'm going to try for that or I'm going to try for this? Because at one point and we briefly touched on this before we jumped on the podcast, at one point you didn't even have a, a an agent before no. you went viral. Like, so how do you how do you get out of bed in the morning and go, do you know what, I'll keep going at it, I'll keep going at it? Or is it because there's always still something in the diary? Well, even, I think that's where we're really lucky because we do have a thriving comedy circuit in this country, in the UK. Um, and so as long as you have comedy gigs booked in, even though it's not your tour and even though sometimes it's like, you know, you don't want to drive to those places and it's not that much money, actually, it's fine. Yeah. Like, it's. I don't think, I think, and me and my friend were talking about this actually at the weekend, was going, it's so funny how, like we were saying, I wonder if everyone else is like this, but it's like you go, when you start comedy, you're like, I love it. Oh, I hope they start booking me for 10 minutes because you start getting booked for five. So you go, I hope they start booking me for 10. Then you get 10. Then you want the 20-minute middle spot. Then you want the 20-minute opening spot. Then you want to be the headliner. Then you want to get on telly. Then you want more telly. Like, you, you're always thinking, you're going, remember when you, like me and my friend would say, because we're both from Manchester, we're like, remember when we just wanted to sell out the Frog and Bucket because of our own name? Well, we've both done that now several times and then it's like and then the next you're trying to get the next thing but I do think um what I often think is going as sometimes as mentally like let's not I don't like saying it's hard because people have like proper jobs um but the what's mentally difficult about our job is the constant no's and it always feels personal because if you're getting rejected it's you know I've been told no because we've already got a gay one and then that yeah, I've heard you, you in... say that, and that's really tough because you're like, "What are we living in that time?" Where well, you're like, you "Why can't we have person? one gay person? Uh-huh. Uh, why are you trying to say all gay people are the same? Yeah, why are you... you're nothing like Tom Allen, who might get mm, like you're, that's yeah. totally different comedy." Well, that's who it was about, actually. Yeah, and then no, you go <laughs> and you go, "Okay, so there's all those things," and then you go. But actually, it has nothing to do with my talent. It has nothing to do with yeah. my skill set. So, what's the point of me working on it? Like, and you're like you're reducing me because of my sexuality and this world. Da, da, da. So there's all that that comes with it. And don't get me wrong, it's not that all the time. Sometimes I'll just like Stephen's not right for this show. He says dick too mm-hmm. much or whatever, and that's fair enough. And um, but what? But the flip side of that is as mentally draining as it can be to be like no, because your sexuality. I've I've I was once told I've said this before as well, so I'm not bothered that um, my accent because I'm too northern. Get out. No. It was a few years ago before people started realising they need nations and regions. But it the, I was once told no because my accent, you go, oh, God, like, and that is mentally draining because you're going, it's about pages. me. Like, in my friend, if she doesn't get a promotion, it's because she's not got enough experience. She's not got yeah. enough hours under her belt. She's not had this one thing she's not dealt with yet. If I do it, it's like, it's because I'm too fat. Why has he gone blonde? I remember when I went blonde, that was a bane of contention for someone. You're like, why, is, why does it matter? Well, everyone knows him as the redhead. But now they'll get to know me as the blonde. Like, give your... I think what I, I will say, I think the one thing I do is I give my audience the credit they deserve, whereas I think a lot of people underestimate an audience. Um, but having said all this, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is all this. Because I think it's exciting to not know what's happening, as well as terrifying. I think it's exactly the reason I do this job was going, I didn't want to do something I did Monday to Friday, nine to five, day in, day out. That works for some people. And actually it works for my personality type. But um, the good thing is going, 
I said this in like at the end of last year, I'd left my old agent. All the TV stuff was winding down for the year as everyone gets ready for Christmas. But oh. because I'd left my agent, I hadn't got a new one. I was like, I'm going to wait till after Christmas. Da, 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 da. So I was coming into the new year with no work booked in. And so over Christmas, I was getting a bit panicky. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I've not stopped since. Like, I've not stopped. So you go, that's what's exciting is you just never no and same as last year but I thought the pandemic had killed my career because I just started to get opportunity and some people might have known me and loads still didn't but I just started to get opportunity like and I just done like the Apollo and you think oh if people see that then they'll book me for other things and did this then the world stopped we went into lockdown and did it and I just thought and it was like household names were struggling for work which meant they were free which meant if you needed someone for your show well now all of a sudden these people that God. used to be too busy to say, dogs, yeah. I'm on tour, I'm selling out an arena, could now come and do your show. So then I was like, and so I remember last year, 2022, to end of 21, I was like, oh God, I think my career's gone forever. I've had two years where, you know, it's done. Like people were selling their production companies because they weren't making any money and da da da. It's like people are done. People that were my biggest champions in TV no longer work in TV. They, after the pandemic two sides where it was like one they didn't like the like it had proven that it's not a secure job but also the other side of it is going oh the world stopped we've lost people it's not worth the stress or the chase or the this or the that and I know people that were just like I'm just going to go and work in a bank now and just do stuff like that and so I was like oh my god and then like so end of 21 I thought this is it next year I'm gonna have to get my CV ready and again 2022 I did not stop until December so I like that as going you've just got to keep trying got to keep the hustle and even though sometimes it's like going like sometimes you can feel like oh I've just been thumped in the face every day for a month nothing's happened but then you'll have a month where you're going everything I want is happening and it's I guess that's balance yeah and you've talked you've talked briefly about and, and you've never gone into it or you might have or I might have missed it I haven't I haven't scoured everything but I've heard you mention the word oh gosh my anxiety like yeah. I heard you say those, that that terminology and even there was something that you said when you were going to do a gig the other night and you went oh I don't know if I'm anxious enough to be funny because you said that actually you were too relaxed and you're normally yeah. much better when you're anxious. So my question t- to you is when it comes to, and you use the words, I'm not, I'm not kind of, you know, bigging, bigging it up, but when you, when you are anxious, what do you know triggers your anxiety and what is your coping mechanism? Um, I don't know what triggers it. It can literally come out of nowhere. I have never been officially diagnosed with anxiety since actually being a child so when I was a child I was a very shy quiet kid but I was a child of the 90s I mean we weren't even allowed to say gay in schools back then let's not forget and I'm not saying that's why I'm not saying that has anything to do but I was a shy nervous child no Um, but you weren't allowed to be yourself and I think that's huge for, for for gay men especially I think and I still see it now because I coach people who are in their 40s and who weren't allowed to be themselves at school and they still struggle with that now yeah I mean that's massively changed so my daughter is gay she came out when she was the thir- oh, 13 or whatever and it just wasn't a big deal Stephen like yeah. it really wasn't if anything like as soon as she put the little flag on her Instagram oh. she was getting celebrated at school like yeah everyone was like oh good for you and I'm so pleased and it was Lush, it was so so nice to see, but I know that for people who were gay, and my, I'm 42, so so growing up in that era, you and and even it's I think it's still hard for some of the boys at our school, but some are out and they're open and yeah. things like that. But I think if you're told something that you are wrong, that what yeah. who you are to your core is wrong, and people are making jokes about it on TV, and people are pulling their faces about it. Oh, I think you might be gay. Like, yeah. you know, that there was that storyline and in things, if there was a gay storyline, I mean, how well, big people use the word that? gay to call something rubbish. Yes. So yes. people are like, that's gay, that's gay. And I don't yeah. think I knew, because like some of this was when I was like 
eight or nine, like before, okay. you know, your sexuality is even kicked in, as in your... So it wasn't connected to that yeah. then at the I start. don't think so originally. I don't think it helped. I, but I think there were certain things where it was, was being like, do you know when you do PE and it's like the boys do football and rugby and it used to make me physically shake because mm-hmm. I hated it. I was like, I don't want yeah. to do either of these things. They're not fun for me. I was naturally more friendly with girls. I'm not even with the girls. Like, so I'm with people where it's like, I don't really have any friends that are boys. Mm. And now you're making me do football, which I just don't enjoy. I don't know why I don't enjoy it, but I don't. I'm not saying gay people don't like football, but I am the one that doesn't. And I just didn't like it. So I think in the start, it was that. And so then I was very shy about that. And then, and it got to a point where I, you know, I had a lisp and a stammer. And so I had to go to speech therapy. And it was always like you're a bit worried. And it was things, even daft things like being like, I am a left-handed person. But in the 90s, um, I don't know how to politically say it. They thought like you were... Not as clever because you were left-handed. Not as clever. You had to have a right... Everything had to be right-handed. And my my teacher kept putting the thing in my left hand, uh, in my right hand, and I kept moving it back, and they kept moving it back. I kept moving back. And then they tell my mum I was thick. And and my mum was like, he's not thick. He's just left-handed. But that that was in the 90s, babe. That was in the 90s. I was born 86. Um, So I think it was stuff like that. And so I think I've always had this level of anxiety. And there are some days when I think I'm saying I'm anxious and I'm probably mean nervous. But um, there are days like where I am literally sat wide awake till 4am. I have no idea why. I'm just fretting about something, but I don't know what I'm fretting about. And there are days when I am fretting being like, if sometimes when we get offered jobs, we get offered it on a pencil and it's not confirmed till nearer the time. You go, well, if I've got that, that's May sorted. But if they don't confirm it till near the time, you go, oh, God, I don't know. And then then can I put anything else in? And then that'll set me off. I mean, uncertainty is an anxiety trigger. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guessing other things that would trigger it for you would be the fact that you're, and I'm totally putting words in your mouth, and I know very little about you apart from this conversation we're having, but your scheduling as a a comedian, you're going to be doing work, late at night you're going to be doing work early in the morning you're going to be doing work midday your scheduling doesn't necessarily allow and you can tell me if I'm wrong but for that classic eight hours sleep every day correct so, so we've got that added on top of it so we've got uncertainty we've got the fact that you don't get a great night's sleep all the time you've got those knockbacks all the time which cannot not trigger the yeah. not feeling good enough that connection to your teacher putting that pen from your left hand into your right hand and saying those words and not feeling good enough and also not feeling like you belong at school. All of that stuff we do take in our adulthood with us. Mm-hmm. So that has to show up somewhere that connects to yeah. Max as well. Like that must be really, really tough. And I know what you said. You said, um, look, I know I'm, I'm not complaining because, you know, I get to do this. And I know other people have you know, hard jobs. But emotionally, what what I think people have to deal with in the spotlight is really tough, really tough. Yeah. You could say one thing and be cancelled. You could say one thing and somebody go, oh, I don't like what you said there, right? I'm not booting you for the next one. Like every time you do a gig, you know eyes are watching you for the next gig. It's like me at work every day. If somebody watched me do a coaching session, they might go, oh, well, I don't want to work with her. That wasn't very nice, that coaching session. That's essentially what people are doing. Yeah, I think it's very personal. Like I think there's other jobs where it's like you've got the skills or you can. And in this, it's kind of like, well, you know, comedy is subjective first of all but yeah, second of exactly. all is going it it is personal because no one's ever going oh we we don't want Stephen because actually he's not got enough hours of tv under his belt compared to ben shepherd right so we're picking yeah. ben because he's got more tv under his belt he could probably if something goes wrong on a live show they're not they don't say things like that they say yeah it is like they do comment on and this isn't everyone, which I can't bear that you even have to say it's not everyone. But there are people that will reject you being like, oh, I don't think he's special. 
all right, well, I don't think you're special. Like, but what's that got to do with any of it? But they think that is a valid thing, or they go, they, I've literally been sat down with people and they've said, who are your friends? So they're booking you off the, and it's like, well, my friends are Sarah, Natalie, Hannah, Jodie, Sam, um, and they go, oh, Jude. which ones are you, Jude? <laughs> and you go, well, no, no, they're just nice, normal people. Like, and that, I will say, this is what's been good about having the boost on social media is going, because you start going, do people not want what I want? Do they? And you go, well, actually, they do. Mm-hmm. I've got proof now that they do. So that's been really reassuring um, where it's like, because, you know. It's based on someone's personal opinion who's a booker essentially yeah. and they might not be right they might not even be good at that well they're goal. not right half the time tv's yeah. dying comedy shows are getting cancelled left right and center you are God. not they do not they are not giving a tv audience what a tv audience wants they want. and i'm not saying You're they right. want me but i've only tried for two months to get my followers up and they've gone up so you go just that and i'm i'm not saying that in like a braggy way i'm saying that in a way of going that has been a real confidence boost yeah because we when we start and when we did start like when I say we I mean like me and my friends have been going like 10 years who I started with tv was the thing you aim for because um that's what it was social media was not we were only just getting Facebook and it was when you were putting like things like Stephen Bailey is very busy today you know like stuff like that (laughs) we weren't people weren't creating content as they are now so we were doing that so it's been nice to go to find these other yeah like Joe McNally is a really good one for, is it I Joe love Mc... Joe McNally yeah. Joanne Joanne yeah. McNally sorry yeah. who um is on my therapist goes to me I have only recently found that podcast oh and it's I am so good devouring it it is hilarious now she's not had much tv work has no she, she no. need it she's selling out the palladium yeah, so she can sell out, and this is lovely, isn't it? This is so nice for, for your um, industry, that she could sell out massive gigs. Do a, she's just done a tour of Australia, New Zealand, on the back of her being so successful on that podcast, I'm she guessing. She sold out New York, Broadway, baby. Jesus. Or off-Broadway, somewhere around Broadway. She's yeah, sold out, yeah. amazing, amazing. And, and, and for somebody who probably wouldn't get TV work... I mean, there's no reason she shouldn't, but I think that what she's done so well is, and so many people have done it, you know, there's like Adam Rowe, Troy, Tom Horton, is the minute a a comedian can sell out a tour, you're laughing. Like, so then it's like, TV's a bonus then. Yeah. Like, you're not relying on it. Because then you remove the uncertainty as well, because you're certain of the next... Six, yeah. 12 months, and I think you can enjoy it in a different way. Like I'm looking forward to get my tour on sale because yeah. I feel like, great, well, that then is my income for next year. Yeah. And then anything else is a bonus. And I think that gives you a bit of a, a different way of breathing, you know, like yeah. you can just be like, great, I'm definitely doing this. And anything else is just getting like your yearly bonus at work. Yeah. So, so just briefly going back to, to, to the anxiety stuff and you said, because I totally went into coaching mode then and started trying to decipher where the triggers were coming from because there's always Please. a trigger. I'm it's happy to be fixed. I'm happy to be fixed. <laughs> I want eight hours sleep. You can have free coaching. Thank um, you. So with the with the anxiety, sorry, what are your coping mechanisms right now? How do you still go and do your job and get up on stage and not go, do you know what I'm doing? Like, so, so Fern Cotton, for example, is a really good example of somebody who I love her got tired of the knockbacks, yeah. got tired of where the, the, the way the industry is and went, do you know what? My mental health is not strong enough for this. I need to come out of the industry. I can't hack it anymore. And now she does her own thing. Like, what what how do you how do you cope I think I have to have like normal real life like I like when I've I really get happy when I've cleaned the whole house yeah like got me bleaches out and got me Mm -hmm. me sprays and stuff like that I like when I've had a full day off and you know I was trying to explain to my boyfriend yesterday Rich I was like it's a day off where there's no admin, there's no responding to emails, 
a day off is fun. We're going out for drinks or afternoon tea or whatever it is we do. We're going out, go for a walk along Blackpool Beach. Like, I love Blackpool Beach. And um, go and see my nephews. Like, yesterday... Like yesterday was a perfect example of a good day off for me because I got up, I did my laundry. I went and had brunch with a friend. I then went to see my mum, dad, sister, nephews, hung out with them for a few hours, came home, got a KFC and watched some Benetton. And I was like, this that was a great day for me. So that there, right? So some people presume that coping mechanisms needs to be self-care needs to be like having a bath and going for a massage and meditating but it's not it's about you know for for most people it's about getting shit done around your house yeah because then you think oh god I can relax now because that's all done and you feel better yeah yeah you've achieved something going and filling your cup with the people who fill your cup like your nephews or your mom your dad or whatever and going out and having having that treat day food and then just chilling and watching something shit on TV. Like that is a perfect example of a beautiful coping mechanism that is keeping you above your coping level. So keeping your head above the coping level so that you can do all of the other things that'll be hard for the rest of the week because you had that one day of filling your cup. Yeah. It is stuff like that. And it is, I know it sounds so ridiculous and superficial, but like even getting my hair done, I love the process of getting my hair done. Yeah. But actually, I do find it stressful as well, booking it in. I mean, I'm lucky because my um, hairdresser, James, he's very good. He gets my job now um, from when we first met, where it's like, because I could be booked in for an appointment tomorrow. But in an hour today, I could get called for a job first thing tomorrow. Like yeah. it could, it doesn't always happen that way, but the odd time it does. And I get so, that really sets me off because it's more, because it's another hour's work moving everything around for your day. Yeah. And then it's going, well, I don't want to let anyone down. And they go, oh God, I've got a, this is twice in a row I've had to move him or, um, but like James is great now, but it's just little things like that. So then you go, being in the seat, is a great way, but sometimes the lead up to getting your hair done is like, oh my God, like, it's yeah. so silly or, um, like, there's a lot now and I totally get it, but yeah. like, you know, if you book a massage in, you have to pay for it whether you go or not and I totally get that, but... Um, not with my tie lady down the road, I don't. I just oh, pay with cash. Well, I yeah, found people like that now, but it is like, it's so stressful because it's like you've got a gun to your head over a goddamn massage and then it's like, well, <laughs> do I do I just lose the cost of a massage or something? So then I, yeah. so I stop booking things like that in because I find it too stressful. And the whole point is, is that it's meant it's to, to be, you feel Yeah, better. so I'll do yeah. stuff like that on holiday yeah. now. That's how I do yeah. stuff like that. I mean, this That's... sounds very bratty, but it's just stuff like, actually, stuff for me that is relaxing and self-care mm-hmm. is being like, right, we're all off on Monday. I'm going to pop in on mum and dad and my nephews and da da yes. But no one's going to be mad if I have to cancel for a last-minute job or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, I could talk to you for hours and I've only got you for an hour, so Uh, I'm not going to push it. But what have you got coming up? Because, well, in fact, I'll let you say, what have you got coming up? What can we do? Where can we find you? Where can people go and follow you to find out more, etc.? So I'm going to be returning to the Laura Whitmore Breakfast Show, which is Sunday mornings, ITV at 8 30 a.m. I'm not on it every yeah. week, but you should watch it every week regardless. Anyway, it's very yeah. good. Um, and I am going to announce a tour on the 1st of June at 10 a.m. So everyone has to buy tickets because now I'm stressed yeah. because everyone's been asking for a tour. And I was yeah. like, well, if these tickets don't sell, I'm going yeah. to see twice. Um, yeah, better buy them. Are you coming to Newcastle? I am. So please sell it out. Amazing. Um, yeah. And the tour will be next year, so everyone's got a good lead up to it. And then, uh, and what sort of size like venues are there? 
it's different depending on the city. Oh, like, and like, I guess what you could get as well, because it's hard to book them places, isn't yeah. it? Especially now after COVID, everyone dived on them. And also, as I've only just become a viral sensation, which, by the way, I'm saying tongue-in-cheek if anyone's not picking that up. Um, <laughs> he is a viral sensation. Thank you so much, Jude. Million views. I am feeling like it's we, we are dipping our toe in the water. Oh, so right, okay. we'll see how they... Oh, but the good thing about it goes is if it does well, I'll extend the tour. Amazing. <laughs> it's that, yeah, Amazing. it's that. So we've like started... Like Peter K, K, the tour that doesn't tour, ended up Yeah, yeah, tour. yeah. <laughs> Mine will be the tour that doesn't stop touring, hopefully. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but they're all different. So, like, Manchester and London, for example, are really big. Um, but everywhere else are, like, normal see, size theatres. See who loves you. Yeah, see where... Who loves and then the just most? keep doing it. Because it's so funny. You can't oh. really figure it out. And it's like... yeah. I keep getting a lot of requests to go to America. And I was like, well, let's do here first. But I would like to go to America. Mm, yeah, nice. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I have loved this conversation. Oh, it's thank been you. lovely. I could chat um, all day, me, about yeah, anxiety. Honestly, I really could. It's amazing. And, you know, I... Uh, watching you and the fact that... I, I did pick up on the fact that you had said the word anxiety probably twice. That's probably it. But I'm like deep in and like, oh, yeah. God, how somebody, how does somebody get up in the morning every day when they know they're going to get, the, they could get knockbacks and things like that. It's a very tough industry for, for your mental I do find that head. exciting. I do find that the other side of it is be like, oh, because there's always something to move forward to and achieve and there's always someone to prove wrong. So I do find it exciting. But at the same time, sometimes it, it is like, oh, it is our job. So mm-hmm. um. I need the I need the actual confirmed work as well. And who was your biggest inspiration of uh, the how, uh, Desperate Housewives? Not Desperate Housewives. The oh, Real, Real Housewives. Housewives. Who's your biggest inspiration? Who gets I, knocked down and gets back up? I think it's um, I think Lisa Vanderpump. Yeah. I know. I love her. I just I don't. I, I didn't think she was bitchy at all. But am I wrong? If I only watched a handful I think of she seasons. Just, I think what she did well was go, we're all on a reality show. So if you have an issue, you have to push it. If someone else got an issue, you need to make them push it. So I think she just kind of worked as a producer in a way. Hmm. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, thank you so, so much for coming. Everyone go and follow Stephen so you can watch out for his shows. But also you can see, like how funny like bloody is on those clips and the ones that have gone viral they are thank you so much thank you so much for listening to the unbreakable mindset podcast with me your host jude don't if you have enjoyed this episode then please do share with others and it would mean a huge deal to me if you would rate review follow and subscribe on your podcast app this will allow the podcast to keep growing and going to new audiences and if you want to know all the ways in which you can work with me directly please visit judedon't.com coaching.co.uk the links will be in the show notes this break is brought to you by adobe photoshop if you're a professional photographer designer or artist you need the tools to go wherever your imagination takes you cookie cutter content just doesn't cut it but you already knew that What you might not know is that new AI-powered features in Photoshop can help you make complex edits in seconds. And it's easier than ever to collaborate and give feedback so you can create faster and crush your next deadline. Get started for free. Click or tap the banner to head over to Photoshop.com.